0: Uh, Eric, I didn't expect you here for another 20 minutes. Um, yes. Are you um? Are you okay? You look kind of pale and... Yes, yes. No, I, I have a cold. You have a, a cold? Yes. Is the cold supposed to give you a Russian accent?
1: It is It is Russian cold. Side it affects lyrics. It's not important. We I've still never, do well, episode. I, okay. Are you sure you're okay? I am fine. We do episode, but I don't like topic.
0: Uh, Okay. I think we should do something different. You know, I personally thought you would have loved the history of the kilt, but, I mean, I'm open to ideas. What do you you want to do? I
1: want to talk about uh, American secrets. Top secrets. Uh, Like Pentagon, uh, you go. Now,
0: tell me about the Pentagon. For me, the big secret about the Pentagon is they don't, always have to be equilateral. You know, a lot of people know that you can have an asymmetrical
1: okay. Pentagon. Okay, all right. N- not changing topic. Tell me about uh, CIA. Who are who are top agents in CIA?
0: Well, I don't know if I'd call them agents, but some of the chefs that have come out of the Culinary Institute of America are really outstanding. There have actually been a couple of iron chefs that have come out of that. Shit. So <laughs> they have a pretty, um, pretty high caliber you no, And very no, intelligent... No, no. This, uh, is, this is not working. People. This is not what I want. Oh, okay, well, what if we do this? Okay. You want to talk about Top Secrets? Yes. What if... Just go with me on this. What if we talk about the movie Top Secret? The one with Val Kilmer. Yeah, of course. All
1: right, I like Val Kilmer. We'll talk about this. This is good. <laughs> Ooh, what was that? Uh... <laughs> It is nothing. It is part of the virus. I have indigestion that sounds like man tied up in secret compartment and uh,
0: restless uh, leg. Yeah, yeah, I hear that's going around. Welcome to Nerd on History. I'm Brian Moriarty and I am Eric Brickmont. Yes, indeed, you are the real Eric Brickman, not the not the Russian, Russian impersonator. Exactly, who's wearing?
1: Hopefully, he's wearing just a mask, some bad face. Mission Impossible like rubber mask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, indeed. Hopefully, it's not like a face-off kind of thing. Right, right. I wake up, and then I'm I'm like, uh, what's his name? And all of a sudden, uh, you're Nicholas Cage. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Identical Cage is running around with your face. <laughs> Who? What? Where? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's terrifying. <laughs>
1: it is terrifying, actually. <laughs>
0: Not the bees! Not the bees! <laughs> <laughs>
1: which would be so out of character for me because I How weird is
0: it like Nicolas Cage just runs around just quoting his movies with no context to them whatsoever. Oh, poor Nicolas Cage. Yeah. You guys are going to
1: do an episode on him on Nerds on Film, right?
0: Eventually we will. Yeah. yeah. We don't have it officially planned yet. Oh man. But we do want to do one on the rise and fall of Nicolas Cage. Yes. And the continued fall and plummet of Nicolas Cage. Yeah. He seems to be kind of he really he's what he is. He's in he's in orbit. Right? Cuz really all orbit is is continuous falling. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's that was funny. a that was a science joke. Chris. That was a science joke. Well done, Brian. Well done. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Um, Speaking nerds. of science,
1: yeah, I know, right. <laughs> Speaking of science, I had a, a lovely weekend. I was up at Lick Observatory for the very last of our summer programs, and uh, it's uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy being up there. I... You know, it's it's always a good time to go up there. If you listen to our History of the Telescope episode, then you know all about uh, Lick Observatory, a little snapshot
0: of it. Yes, indeed. And you had your uh, friend Michael on
1: yeah, to talk about that. Absolutely, I did. And, you know, folks, I'll I'll just mention it. Next year, we're going to have a whole other program up there at Lick Observatory, because we do have uh, at least a little bit of funding to keep us going until 2016. A little update, a little Lick Observatory update, for those of you who are interested. But, um, you know, still not out of the woods yet, so... Why don't, if you happen to live in the San Francisco Bay Area, decide to come on over and visit?
0: Yeah, but two years is good. I mean, That, that buys you guys enough time to well, raise more funds, right? Well, we'll see. We really hope so. Anyway, what, what did you do this weekend? Uh, I built sets. That's what I did. I did build Ooh. sets, and I went to a little soiree at, a, at my director's house. A soiree? A soiree, at yeah. At the director's house? Yeah. I don't know. I, I like the word soiree. It sounds more you're posh. so posh Brian yeah, yeah it's just yeah exactly. so posh. actually his house is like is very posh it like, looks it is like seriously like decked out I went to use his bathroom and it smiled at me like it that's very confusing statement you're gonna need to clarify that he's got a Japanese toilet so like the thing like opens up automatically and when does he, it have a smiley face on the inside? no it doesn't I was oh. just making a joke that how intelligent this thing was oh I go near it I was not even going to use the toilet. I was just there to wash my hands. I go near it. I was like, "That looks like unusual." And me getting close enough to it caused a sensor to open up the the uh, toilet head. I was like, "What?" <laughs> well, Jumped that's, back for that's a actually not out of a matter of convenience. It's
1: it's meant to be a welcoming to relieve the shame. Uh, I'm sure involved yeah. in defecating. And it
0: had a it had a it had a wall mounted remote on yeah. it. It was pretty spectacular looking I didn't use it I wish I had because this looked like it was a full service toilet so anyway we're going on far too much about this uh, so suffice to say I was very tired because of the set building not because of the the, the party um, and I was very
1: tired from you know being a 12 awake. mile hike yeah well, well yeah, that's right I did a 12 mile hike before I actually went up to the observatory and then I stayed up until you know 3 in the morning no wonder you're exhausted and I had to go to work today at 8 in the morning that was fun
0: Yeah. yeah
1: yeah no kidding but anyhow, suffice it to say, we both had a, a lovely weekend, we're both really exhausted, and we're both here to record another episode. This and now our third season. season.
0: three. Season three. Episode 101. 101. History 101, wow. folks. Wow. It has finally
1: happened. And to commemorate this, we are doing the history of Dalmatians.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. We are, but we are doing the history of Binary. Ah, uh, ah, uh, no. No? No. Oh, come on. No. I thought that was pretty
1: good. It was very funny, but we'll have to save it for our 100,000th, 110th episode or something to that effect. Sure. All right, yeah. whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> what are we actually talking about, Brian?
0: Well, we, we've done these episodes where we've explored very nerdy topics. We've done ninjas. We've done samurai. We've done superheroes. What well, we haven't done yet. Is spy stuff. And right? spy stuff is awesome. Spy stuff, right. Espionage, spycraft, the clandestine arts, if you will. So, any other lofty words you can use for finding Being other a people's jerk. Yeah, exactly. Finding <laughs> other people's secrets. We wanted to talk about that because espionage is actually, it goes we way like, back. It goes it's way, it's really back. as old as civilization is itself, pretty much. Exactly. As soon as we started to settle down
1: into communities, we found the need to want to know what was going on next door, uh, not just with our neighbor in that community, but also in a neighboring tribe or village nearby. And as such, spies
0: have been around for 6,000 plus years. It is arguably the oldest profession next to lawyers and prostitution, basically. <laughs> so. I I hear it always called the second oldest profession. Yeah, in the second oldest, yeah. Though unfortunately, you know, if you if you fail as a prostitute, you can fall back to something else. If you fail as a spy, you're pretty much dead. <laughs> so so, you know, it's like it's there's very little margin for error <laughs> when you're when you're a spy. Well, first off, let's define what espionage is, right? Because and right. gathering of intelligence does not necessarily mean uh, espionage which is i think what we what the modern concept of espionage is and it's not us gathering information for this podcast is an effective form of ga- of gathering intelligence
1: sure or even just understanding what other countries are doing in the world not necessarily with a negative intent not with the intent to countermand what they're doing but with and completely overtly too as yeah, well yeah. that can be considered gathering intelligence sure and that yeah. happens all the time When we're talking about espionage, we're talking about the very deliberate gathering of information that is secret, critical, or crucial to the continuation of that particular country or individual or company or what have you, and then using it in some fashion, more often than not, negatively against that entity that you're talking about. Correct.
0: You're trying to gain leverage of some kind, right? Exactly. And,
1: And more often than not, it's not surprising then that we see this as centered around warfare, but there are plenty of examples of it moving and evolving beyond warfare, and getting down to the very core and fundamental of you know society and the way that that society functions. So we've got an interesting topic for you, ladies and gentlemen. And I think uh, unless you have anything else you want to say in, in terms of defining this, I think we should kind of
0: well, I mean, you know, the one the other thing is I find it very interesting what the United States Penal Code defines as espionage because we pretty much it says that but it's in this case it's i mean they they make it specific to the united states but it's you know secrets that are obtained secretly that are with use that are of harm to the to the uh that pose a threat to the security of the united states right basically and if you broaden that to any country that's pretty much what every every country in the free world acknowledges as the definition of, of espionage right and how it is punishable is also uh, varied, too. It depends on the... All, it, there's a lot of different political complexities that come with it, too. Sure. So, you know, if it's a... the How you treat a spy who is a, uh, n- a non-native is very different than how you treat a spy who is, in fact, part of your own country.
1: And they oftentimes are in far worse shape. Yes, uh, they are. Because that's exactly. considered high treason in
0: many countries. And that is... Usually punishable uh, by death. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it yeah. even is to this day in,
1: in a lot of places. Which is what
0: happened with Rosenbergs, right? The Rosenbergs. Right. They that's were right. American citizens who were spying for the Soviets, and they, they were, were executed. executed. exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, you know, but yet, you know, it's also not uncommon for someone who is maybe a uh, a, a resident but not a natural-born citizen, they they just get deported instead, you know?
1: Exactly. And I think that you know when we talk about this tonight, the the scope and scale is still going to be very top level, right? We're going to give you kind of a very general overview of espionage throughout history, but then we thought it would be really fun to follow it up next week and dive into it a little bit more detail, but around the technology that was in view it, involved. In the very spying itself.
0: Yeah. Throughout various points in history. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So
1: it's going to be kind of a cool little two-parter I think you folks are going to enjoy.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Uh, But like I said, let's start from the beginning. Sure. And let's talk about one of my favorite places. Uh, I've faked a lot of people out recently because, you know, we keep doing these episodes and you keep implying that I'm going to talk about Egypt and then I don't, but I am tonight. Shocker. Yeah. To be fair, you actually haven't brought up ancient Egypt in quite some time. Quite some time. I think our our listeners are due. And with the beginning of a new season, I have to at least mention my favorite place on earth. So we have uh, Egyptian hieroglyphics and heretic writing that was recorded on Egyptian papyrus that goes back thousands of years that talks about you know, intrigue within the court. We've talked a little, a little bit about this on previous episodes. You know, we talked about the assassination of Ramesses
0: III, and we've talked a little yes, bit was about... The, was that the one where his bark was overturned? Is yes, it, exactly. Yeah, that, which yes. is
1: the the nice way of saying that uh, he got murdered by people very close. Or at least they attempted to. Well, he died from his injuries. So yes. I would, if it was in a court of law today, it would still be considered murder. Yes. Yeah. We also have a few other examples uh, through various pivotal moments in Egyptian history. One of them was the reformation of Egypt out of the first intermediate period. And I've talked about this a little bit as well. Remember, Egypt wasn't always in control of its own territory. There were times when foreign powers actually invaded and kind of set up shop. And, you know, there were the Hyksos in the north, there were the Nubians in the south, and Egypt was this small decentralized state that was trying to reclaim its former glory and power. And they actually intercepted uh, some couriers, some messengers, who were coming up from uh, Nubia to the Hexos. Their own their Egyptian, own Egyptian spies, spies caught them red-handed and interrogated them and found out uh, their, their plan, which was this kind of pincer movement to get rid of what was left sure. in Egypt, and used that to help turn the tide. Sure. So you have an example there. You have other examples where, you know, like, uh, like Ramesses II and the Battle of Megiddo. Uh, one of the most famous battles in the ancient world. Uh, he was fighting against a far superior Hyksos, or sorry, not Hyksos, pardon me, the Hittite force to the north, and uh, ended up getting some some false information. Uh, he ended up getting some, some spies who were leading him to believe that uh, there were no troops further north and that he could freely advance on them and be fine. And what they were doing was actually leading him into a trap. So he ended up getting these so-called, you know, defectors who were giving him this information, but it was all a ruse. Uh, Instead, he ends up capturing a few more Hittite spies and interrogates them and then finds out the truth that they were actually leading them into a trap. And while it's too late to turn back, he does call in reinforcements that just barely uh, create a stalemate out of the final battle. And he almost loses his life in that process as well. Sure. Uh, So if it wasn't for them keeping an eye out for these folks... Uh, they would have never been able to find them. And, you know, when we're talking about spying in the ancient world, we don't have a whole lot of very specific examples. We have a couple that come to us from Egypt, but more often than not, these were couriers. These were people who were transporting information back and forth and sometimes took yeah. the opportunity to take the the clothes and perhaps even uh, emulate some of the customs or the language of the people that they were visiting. Uh, So that they could then blend in and maybe walk about and hear what they hear and bring that information back. Definitely.
0: And pretty much when you look at the ancient world, for the most part, you know, ancient espionage was a branch of the military, essentially, right? And then you see this in India, you see this in, particularly in ancient China, we're talking pre-unified China. Right. With uh, Sun Tzu, right? Sun Tzu. And the art of war. And the art of war. He talks about it, you know, but he, you know, I mean, he goes into a pretty elaborate detail about lots of different things about managing a country. Um, but you know, it, that's the one common thread I, I seem to find across all these ancient civilizations. Yeah, and you know, Sun Tzu really sums it up, and he he lists
1: the types of spies, and these types of spies really are the the archetype for what future spies would become, and they are very much reflective of other cultures in the ancient world. So I'm just going to kind of go over them real quick. Sure. Um essentially local spies are the first ones, which are recruited from the general population of the enemy state, right? So people that you can kind of turn to your favor who will give you information. And they don't have yeah. to necessarily be up in high places. They're just kind of giving you information on, on maybe troop movements Correct. or supplies or what's going on. Which is a tactic used to this day. Absolutely it is. Yes. And then there's inside spies. And these are, you know, officials from the government of the enemy state. So these are folks who are much higher up in status. And some of them may, who may even have some sort of diplomatic title Absolutely, well. Yeah. The, the, these are people who have a lot more access to high-level information, who have access to high-level individuals. Sure. Uh, and some of them could even be very, um, oh, carefully coerced into performing not just acts of espionage, but also uh, assassinations quite possibly. Sure. Uh, then you have these kind of reverse spies. And these are enemy agents who have actually been turned. So they were perhaps found in your encampment or found in your country, identified, but by, you know, promises or bribes or threats were turned over to your side and are now feeding you information. Effectively making them a double agent. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, dead spies... This is an interesting terminology for it, too. Uh, These are agents who are fed false information, and then that false information is eventually found out, and the spy is executed by the enemy. Hmm. So they are fodder. They are meant to be caught. You're giving them information to mislead the opposing force uh, with the purpose of them serving that purpose in the dark. Them essentially becoming uh, expendable, basically. And then there's the living spy, and these folks are very simple in appearance, but they're also always very vigilant. They never kind of let their guard down. They operate uh, behind enemy lines and they put themselves into potentially dangerous situations, um, but they are the ones that are unwavering. They're they're the most loyal of them all, if you will. And they're kind of like the special agents, if you will, the ones who have the, the best training and who are like secret agents, in the terminology that yeah. we would use in the well, modern Well, you
0: age. you have to have the best training because basically pretty much if you, you are talking about the most primal instinct we all have, right, is to survive. So you, you are going to use every resource and every trick you can to maintain your survival while still maintaining your cover.
1: Exactly. And controlling all of this, as Sun Tzu recommends, you have is is the general as your spy master essentially. So, if you're commanding these troops, you should also be commanding your spies, and you should be very careful with them, and you should be very secret in the way that you're using them, because the last thing you want to have happen is uh, this kind of, you know, in this particular case, very dishonorable practice uh, coming to light and tarnishing your image, uh, particularly among your own people. So you know, you essentially he warns be very careful how you're using spies, uh, but use them and use them effectively. Hmm. And that is true of the modern age today. Uh, no country wants to have one of their operatives caught. It's a huge embarrassment. It's an embarrassment that happens even in this century now. After sure. after all the centuries that have passed since Sun Tzu first wrote those words. Sure. So an interesting fact, and like I said, it really does speak to. Everything that kind of came before and after, and while we're on the subject, still though of the ancient world, uh, certainly the ancient Egyptians kind of started a, a pretty good practice of this of uh, this intelligence network. Uh, remember, when they had an empire, they had a very large and stretching empire, and their practice was not necessarily to completely dominate those foreign lands with their own people and troops. It was more or less to kind of kidnap the the ruler of that land's children and hold them ransom and make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, and to inform the real ruler of Egypt, the pharaoh, yeah. uh, they sent their own agents and they had their own spies, yeah. their own emissaries in that land who were serving in a diplomatic function. But really, what they were meant to be doing was keeping an eye on these foreign leaders and making sure they
0: were complying with right. the ransom and demands. Which is actually a tactic also used by the feudal Japanese too. We talked That's about right. that. That's right. We talked about we that talked the, with the daimyo. The, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So you know, beyond Egypt, I think obviously in the Hellenistic world, you had that taken to the next level, and in Greece, uh, there was plenty of opportunity to fine tune really uh, the spies, if you will, because you had a lot of infighting in a relatively small area, right? So you had Macedonia, which had all these very distinct cultural groups, but not too far stretched out. Of course, so, the, the
0: home of Alexander the Great as well.
1: I yeah, was. exactly. And it wasn't difficult then to send your own agents into a, a nearby land and have them blend in almost perfect. Yeah, because they were all culturally the same, pretty much. Very similar to one yeah. another, absolutely. I mean, they were distinct, but you you kind of could pick up on the customs and traditions of the people in the nearby Correct. city state. So it yeah. wasn't that hard to do. And with that, you had uh, that next level kind of evolve. Whereas the Egyptians were, you know, sending it out as needed to the Greeks. This was almost a way of life. Like this was a role now within your your military uh, and the culture who would really take it and run with it and establish really the actual first intelligence agency on the planet. The Romans. the Romans. Yes. And exactly you were go there. So Rome, as we've established in, in episodes previous, uh was a very warlike, you know, culture from the very, very beginning. Well, because they believed they were inspired from Sparta, right? So um Yeah, I mean they, they had it in their blood, if you will. They were yeah. definitely And from um, Troy. I
0: should say Troy and Sparta, but yes.
1: Yeah, they, they were aggressive. Yeah. And these legends of their past and, and of the history before them Inspired them and, and kept them going. And they had a large area that they wanted to dominate and control, and it only continued to get larger and larger. And one of the best ways of doing that is to have as much information on the people and on, more importantly, the military troops that you are uh, planning to invade. Uh, and so you had, uh, again, the courier of the pre Roman legion, but during the Roman Republic, right, the R- Roman military uh, going in and Infiltrating and finding their way in and many times sneaking in high officials who were, again, hidden in, in garments that were representative of the, of the tribe that they were going into uh, and then sneaking in and actually speaking these words of dissent among the followers of the leader of that tribe, trying to get to the higher people in their own opposing military and, and get them to turn coat but not do it right away necessarily. Wait for the opportune moment, right? Wait until you've got your, your, your soldiers on the battlefield and then have them move over to the Roman side and decimate the opposing side. And this was a really effective tactic, but it's something that they didn't necessarily figure out right away. In fact, it was their dealings with Carthage that really gave them uh, these ideas. Hmm. Hannibal was a spymaster, master. In the sense of, of Sun Tzu, right? And the way that Sun Tzu lays it out for us. And he was an expert spy master For over 14 years, he led a really effective campaign against the Romans, trying to hold them off, right? Eventually they would lose, sadly. But, you know, trying to hold off the Romans. And he did so by planting his spies right, right next to the highest and wealthiest and most powerful officials in Rome many of them being murdered and killed by his his agents. Uh, and it was a scary time for the Romans because, you know, they didn't know who to trust and they didn't know who was who. And when they did find a spy, they oftentimes tried to make an example of them. Uh, if not public execution, because they wanted the spy to kind of still be walking around, if you will, be visible to the other spies. Uh, there was one instance where they, they cut off the hand of one of the spies and said, you know, hey, this is the minimum that we're going to do. If we find you, you're going to, be in for a lot worse. Uh, But they eventually adopted the same tactic and then started using it against Carthage and then started using it everywhere they went. Hmm. Uh, It got to the point where as Rome became an empire and it began to expand and grow, there was now a need to have a organized force of spies, an organized intelligence agency, spying more on their own people than anybody else. And uh, these individuals were kind of like a, a secret police force, if you will. They usually teamed up with the local militia of wherever they were located or with the Praetorian Guard uh, if they were in, in Rome. And uh, the information that they found out about individuals, they, they then got this mob together and had them eliminated if, if need be. If they were a threat to, uh, to the wealthiest and most powerful in the Senate and yeah. the Roman Emperor. I mean, it pretty much sounds like a Roman version of the FBI in a way. Yeah, almost. Um, the The original organization forms in around 200 AD, and they're called the Frumentari. So the Frumentari were actually repurposed. Originally, they were uh, part of the Roman legion, and the their role and responsibility was all the supplies and um, and courier uh, duties were handled by them. So they made sure. All the Roman soldiers were fed, they were made sure that all of the orders were received, and that any uh, special and urgent information was sent from one battlefield to the next. Uh, they quickly realized that these folks were very skilled at gathering information and disseminating information, and so they started bringing them in in a tax collecting role as well. And now they were actually going out into the public and collecting taxes or, you know, um, handling any kind of uh, scribing duties that were required of, of grain collecting and things of that nature, which was a big thing in Egypt, obviously, or excuse me, in Rome. And while they were there now among the public, uh, the highest ups decided, hey, these guys are the perfect ones to find out if anyone's plotting against us, if there's any dissent among the masses, if there are any planned revolts, uh, let's send them out and they will start whispering their secrets to us. And, it it got to be pretty out of hand. I imagine, yeah. Within just about a hundred years, in fact, you found that um, they had a horrible reputation because you know not only is this jerk here to collect your taxes, but he's probably telling you know your deepest and darkest secrets that you don't want anyone else to know to some very powerful people who could
0: use it to blackmail you. I can understand why maybe the uh, Judeans did not like tax collectors. In the first century AD. Oh yeah, and yeah.
1: Uh, the Christians as well. Uh, yeah. you know they they, they prosecuted uh, everybody. Uh, they, and there was there was no stopping them really because they didn't just stop with the common person and with soldiers. They also went up to the highest uh, rings of of Roman society. So nobody was safe from these guys. And uh, eventually it was decided that
0: they would... Uh, it's kind of like the IRS today. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. Are you basically saying the IRS is a spy network? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit.
1: Wow. What do they do with that census information? They, yeah,
0: get Screw my taxes, and... man. No, I'm kidding. I'm yeah. kidding. I do not I do not mean that, folks. Brian, be careful. You don't know who you're dealing yeah. with.
1: <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Move on. Move on. Yeah. Quickly, move on. <laughs> Eventually, these guys would be kind of pushed aside, right? Uh, only to be replaced by a group that was even worse, that continued up into the Byzantine era. Uh, and, you know, their purpose, these, these general agents, as they were called, uh, had a very toned down name now. They were not members of the military. Okay, so they got rid of that aspect of it to make them seem less threatening. But they were essentially performing the exact same function. Sure. Uh, And then, you know, foreign affairs at this time were handled by diplomats, uh, these emissaries that would be sent to foreign lands. And they were there to represent the emperor for some new decree that was, you know, sent out by, by the empire or whatever it was, right? Handling a local dispute or something. But what they really wanted to do was stay around, make sure people had plenty of wine in them and then find out as much information as possible and those tactic
0: that comes into play a little bit later into our podcast as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we I mean we we've established that the Romans had were probably the most organized of the ancient spy networks absolutely that were out there. Absolutely. But as we move forward through history and we, we could honestly spend an entire episode just talking about ancient espionage. We really could, because there's so much out there. Um, The Hebrews had a spy network They had spies. And that Um, comes
1: straight from the Bible, too. Exactly,
0: right. What I really want to do is I want to kind of fast forward a little bit to really the Middle Ages.
1: Yeah, because with the Middle Ages and, you know, realistically, the fall of the Roman Empire and the beginning of the Dark Ages...
0: Well, I should say... The fall of the Roman Empire, as we've kind of talked about, was more of a transference, right? Because really, the one thing that the Roman Empire did a very good job of was establishing the power of the church. That's right. Right.
1: Yeah. But that did herald in the Dark Ages, and uh, it's worth mentioning it for a reason because with the decentralization of Rome, uh, it took a little time before the church was really able to to gain back that influence and that power. So during the Dark Ages, there was very little espionage going on at all. Uh, you might have had some local tribes and leaders, uh, particularly up north in the Germanic territories, that might have been performing similar to what they were doing in the ancient world, right? But but nothing nearly as organized as what had happened before or what was to come with an organized Christian church.
0: And really what, what the church was trying to do was was really to maintain, for lack of a better word, purity, but... Really, what we're talking about is just but obedience, but more accuracy, power, power and obedience to be more specific, right? Yeah, we have to remember that this is a point in time where, in Europe, you pretty much your your crown was not validated unless you were coronated by the Pope. Yeah, right. The Pope was essentially a kingmaker, um, and the Pope had ex. You know, if you didn't like what you did, what you were doing, you were excommunicated, and you know there were kings who had to grovel. Uh, you know, in the snow, for example, for to be given the Pope's forgiveness, for example. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the Pope wielded a tremendous amount of power to the point where he also established the Holy Roman Empire, right? He established which king in Europe was going to be the king of kings, essentially. Uh, Of course, only subject to the Pope, right? right? So, you know... Just basically reestablishing a hierarchy.
1: But it's no big surprise that with that level of
0: control uh, over much of
1: Europe, that you would need to have some sort of intelligence network set up to, to wield that control.
0: Right. And so really what you're talking about is as we get to the... I want to say early 14th, maybe 15th century, we're really talking about the Inquisition, right? And we also talk about how there was very... I mean, we could talk about the Templars for a little bit, too. Well,
1: yeah, because, I mean, let, let's touch on that for a moment, because before that, you know, back during the 10th century, you had the beginning of the Crusades, right? Sure. So uh, with, with well, not the 10th, the 11th century, but the beginning of the Crusades. And with that, you were developing all sorts, of, or I should say, redeveloping all sorts of spy tactics. Right. Uh, because as they were, you know, besieging places like Jerusalem or Constantinople, you had uh, a need to get inside those city walls. And you had to send people in in disguise. You had to try to gain allegiances from individuals who were inside the wall, who were sympathetic to you, who could perform all sorts of different types of sabotage, or get information out that was critical and vital to you. And this went both ways. I mean, obviously, it wasn't just uh, European forces that were you know using this tactic. Uh, the forces there in the Middle East were doing the exact same thing against them. Right. So what it did, though, is it gave you opportunity now to flex some muscles that hadn't been used in several hundred years and to rebuild this this practice and this network. And it was all being done in the name of the church. And so it makes sense then that upon the conclusion of these wars or the winding down of these wars, that uh, they now had a valuable tool at their disposal that they could use within Europe itself.
0: Yes, indeed. And that really, that does kind of lead us to, into, in a way, it leads us into the Inquisition. But the Inquisition! With- Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. And uh, we have a
1: comfy chair right over here. And it looks just do. like the one in yeah. Monty Python.
0: Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, we could also talk about the Templars, too, because the Templars had, they weren't necessarily spies, but they they definitely had their own clandestine uh, nature to them I mean, sure. they they essentially s- established the modern banking system uh with their whole system of transmitting treasure right all the way through through europe yeah and that made the church very nervous uh oh, yes yeah well actually more or less it made king philip of france very very nervous uh <laughs> and because he didn't like that at all uh Probably because he probably, I, I'm just guessing, I don't have this historical knowledge to back this up, but I'm guessing that, like, he owed the Templars money or something. He probably just wanted to find some <laughs> way of getting out of debt. But anyway, uh, as you get toward the, again, the, th- in 13th, I think is it 13th, 13, that 13, the, the uh, or it was Friday the 13th in the the 14th century that uh, the Templars get, or, like, they get wiped out within one uh, foul swoop. right. Uh, which we talked about. We talked about the Friday the 13th back way back when we talked way about unlucky back. numbers, we talked about, yeah, superstitions, and superstitions and stuff. Mm-hmm. But when you get into the Middle Ages, as you're talking about, you know, in the uh, process of maintaining control and also in the process of, again, weeding out some of the non-believers who were still in Europe, you really get the, the, inquis- the inquisition to follow uh, as a means of a couple of different reasons. Again, uh, paganism, but also the rising uh, dissent with Protestantism, right? The Inquisition yeah. went on for centuries. It didn't oh, officially yeah. get closed until the 1960s. Shocker. Um, so, it, it, you and in this case, yeah. who,
1: who were the spies? Priests,
0: exactly. I, yeah, <laughs> your clergymen.
1: Yeah, the, the people that you were in confession with, uh, declaring your sins, whatever they may be, and or people who were in your community who had their ears open and were listening and were respected members,
0: so they were invited everywhere. This was a scary time, sure, and of course you had the High Inquisitor, right? You had Torquemada, uh, who was effectively the spy master that you're, you know, you're referring to, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, and unfortunately, the way you would get people to the only way you could get out of the Inquisition was if you could name someone else who was also a sinner, essentially, right? Someone who was also guilty. Wait, wait. Are you trying to tell me that now you inadvertently become a spy? In in a way, yeah, right. So you have insidious. to give insidious. Well, really, actually, it's torturing to get information, and that's again, that's that is technically a method of gathering intelligence, right? So even though you are not to spy, you are using tactics to to get that information. Yeah, and uh, we see this repeated again. You know, you could argue McCarthyism sure. follows a very uh, dangerous path toward the same witch hunt, like. Uh, mentality, right, and that that parallel has been drawn many a times before. Sure, and uh, and you can also again, you can make the same parallel with the Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the parallels just keep going on and on and on. When you create a pandemic of fear, people are going to do some not nice things to each other. They're gonna they're gonna go to survival mode, and they will go, you know, think of themselves before the rest of the community is good. So, uh, the church was very good at. And I say this, of course, as a Catholic, the church was very good at (laughs) at wielding that tactic and uh, basically using righteousness, using, uh, I shouldn't say righteousness, using orthodoxy as their uh, means of... uh, Of control. Of control, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it gets more interesting when you get into Protestantism, right? When you get into the early Renaissance... Yeah. uh, Particularly... I find, I find it really interesting what happened in England. But you wanted to also talk about what happened in uh, Florence, you said, right? Yeah,
1: e- exactly. And we have to mention Machiavelli. I mean, we cannot
0: not mention Of course, the, arm, the armed prince or the armed prophet, right? The idea that it's easier to say that you are uh, supposedly have some divine mission than it is to actually prove it. So the ends, therefore, justify the means, right? And that's, yeah. a, that's a very overly simplified distillation of his argument, but it, it, it sums it up, though. It is the, the essence of it, if you will. And while it was
1: definitely meant to kind of teach the, uh, the local Florentine uh, population on how you know, to, to utilize spycraft uh, and how to take advantage of it for personal gain, obviously, it began to spread throughout Europe, and it kind of became this universal message. And now the monarchs of Europe adopted the same practice. And, and that leads us back into England, like you were saying, with, with Henry Eighth.
0: Yeah, well, when Henry VIII basically decided to establish the Church of England, right, you now have a, uh, a real conflict going on because the church, which was still wielded a fair amount of power in England, was, you know, pushing for purity. And, you know, you have Henry VIII, who was basically trying to wield out of any form of Catholicism uh, that were any, any, rather, not any form of Catholicism, but rather any kind of loyalty to Rome, right. I should say. Any loyalty to the Pope. Right, because most people don't know early Anglicanism was essentially a clone of Catholicism, back to the fact that they still use Latin yeah. in, the, in worship. It was just literally the only difference was it was the king, not the pope, who mm-hmm. they reported to. Um, so that was the only difference. But more or less, I would say less with Henry VIII and more with his daughter. Oh,
1: by far. I mean, Elizabeth I was notorious for having a well-trained,
0: highly educated uh, you know, exclusively literate. Well, more on, on more than one occasion, right? And yes, you did have. Yes, the, she had very intelligent spies uh, working for her, right? But a, but on a couple different fronts. That part in Europe is so fascinating because, because of the nature of the Catholic versus Protestantism uh, debate—not even debate, just this this feud that was going on—it was the whole reason why. And I, I've said this before, but it bears repeating that was the essential challenge to her right to be the monarch of England. Is Because yes. she, was, she was not, not that she wasn't, she was not Catholic, number one. And number two, the fact that Henry VIII had declared her illegitimate at one point. Right, and that he didn't, and he only retracted the statement later on in life. She, she had a lot going against her, indeed. And the only way she was
1: going to stay on the throne and be able to consolidate her power and and gain in that power
0: and influence was to be as protected
1: as possible. And, and the only way to do that, that is yeah. to know
0: when somebody's coming to get you, right? And you could argue that that paranoia basically uh, inspired these acts to, yeah. of uh, espionage to be but, in- occurred. But to, back to my point, though, and I think again, it's
1: it's, it's worth repeating these individuals were not these kind of ill-trained military volunteers or just kind of haphazard uh, individuals who were thrown into the role these were linguists these were known authors playwrights scholars playwrights engineers (laughs)
0: scientists these were the cream of the crop what fascinated me was that the playwright christopher marlowe the contemporary of shakespeare is speculated to have been a spy
1: now that can't be confirmed. That but. can't be
0: confirmed, but there is there are some arguments for it that he he took on another identity with the last name Morley, and that he was there to kind of be the tutor of our Arbella or our is it our Betta or Arbella? Uh Arbella Stewart, who was the niece of Queen Elizabeth, or I should say cousin of Queen Elizabeth, the niece of James the First of or James the Sixth, I should say, of Scotland. Not to be confused with Kristen Stewart, who plays the role of
1: Bella right and those god-awful shiny vampire movies thank you for just making gotta have leave, clarification of all the
0: people I would think to make a Twilight reference you it's not really a reference as it is a deterrence okay I'm doing my my let's part. just move on shall we you, yeah let's yes okay let's go ahead, look good let's <laughs> do that so um I think it's kind of just interesting and it's also interesting because I find the symbolism that he also his famous work was doctor faustus this tale of the man who sells his soul to the devil <laughs> right so it i wonder when he when did he write that in his life do you do you remember was it the latter half of his I, I can't say for sure. I don't know. Wouldn't one. that be interesting? But wouldn't if it be was kind of a retrospective Indeed. on everything that he's as done? a reflection on yeah. what he's doing? Yeah, yeah, Maybe, maybe. But the difference is that uh, Faustus, that version, he he sold his soul for um, for supernatural powers. It right. wasn't right. like the it wasn't the Goethe Faust story that we're, know, we're known we're right, for. Right. Where it's a much more of a of a philosophical need for you know. But I think we should digress because yeah. I think
1: we're we're getting off on a bit of a tangent. I agree.
0: But the other thing I love, sorry, pirates. Of course, Brian. Yes. Of course you love pirates. No, but what I'm saying is the Queen used pirates as a means of spying. Yeah. She had pirates who worked under the crown. Uh, We talked about this before, too, with uh, the sea battles. I'm talking about the Spanish Armada, right? Dutch and English maritime spies, essentially. They were called non-state agents, and they were there to help control the influx of gold (laughs) throughout the region. Um, But they were also, of course, I mean, you imagine they would also be gathering information along the way and reporting back to the Queen. And that was what helped her maintain control over the region, you know. And more no, none so great than her, uh, her was who was her spy master, Francis Walsingham. Walsingham, you know, uh, he his whole job was to to find out was there a plot against the queen, and if so, let's protect her. Which of course there were several, <laughs> right? Mary Queen of Scots. We talked about this again as well. Tried to make a, a couple attempts to get her assassinated. Or a couple of Catholic fanatics who tried to to do away with her as well, Um, and he had gathered a whole, he had gathered intelligence from all across Europe, partly because, again, of this this so-called ambassador, right, this emissary from other lands. You're essentially a legal spy. Sounds a lot like what they were doing in Rome. Exactly. You have these dignitaries who are there to be present at court, to maintain, again, a relationship with other lands, another tactic that was used by Sun Tzu, right, but yet you're also, you know, you know that you can only be at arm's length, right? There's certain yeah. things you don't want them to know, but yet they might be making relationships with other members of the court, maybe some lower unpaid servants who are don't really have any loyalty to their, their monarch, for example. Sure. You know, you could think of that as a very, very likely tempting. scenario. Exactly.
1: Uh, and now you could evacuate people from these lands a lot faster as well, especially if you had a powerful sure. navy like the one that Elizabeth decided to build. Yeah,
0: exactly. But you know, this doesn't just happen in America. Uh, sorry, in Europe either. You know, you have this happening in North America as well. As Europe is now exploring and settling in the New World, right? you also find that the American Indian tribes are using the settlers of Europe as a means of gathering information as well. Because, you know, common, I think a misconception is that, yes, we treated the Native Americans horribly, but they also didn't really like each other that much like there were warring nations within that north america
1: sure not just in north america but also down in central and south america right and and while we're on the topic of being in around you know 16th century uh, i do definitely want to mention that uh, our friends the aztecs uh, had a very sophisticated spy system set up as well Uh, they oftentimes sent people out in tribal you know garb uh, and people that they knew could speak their their local language of the of the invading or the neighboring tribe before they invaded and went in there and gathered as much information as possible were also committed uh, acts of assassination. Sure, so this sure. is going on around the world, around the entire globe. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and you know we're we're starting to run out of time here, so I, I want us to fast forward a
0: little bit. Yeah, I, I was I was getting there. I was getting there. Yeah, because as you get into the American Revolution, you find. Also, the first, I guess, quote-unquote, American spy system happening, which, of course, the show Turning uh, is now—that's their main focus, is talking about Washington's military spies that were Uh, meant to— Is it Turning or Turn? I think it's—I thought it was Turning, is what it was called. But basically, the idea was that, you know, you have American spies working in the British Army uh, during the Revolution, right, or working with the British to be double agents, essentially— uh, and they're trying to protect correspondence or intercept correspondence between the generals within the, the military right uh just
1: quick correction yeah. the
0: show is called turn is it turn okay. yeah sorry it's now called turn washington spies the that's official, right yeah that's the right. official title of the that's
1: the that's the the um the uh, the subtitle.
0: Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: uh, and it's on AMC now. If you folks want to watch it, or you could yeah. also
0: watch it on, uh, you know, Amazon. Yeah, I caught the pilot of it, and I will say I can't speak for the historical accuracy of it, except for the dialects. The dialects were impeccable. I uh, hear it's actually pretty
1: accurate. Yeah, that, the, I mean, accurate to the to the time period. Yeah, yeah.
0: I will say that all the visual elements and the audio, the oral elements of it are spot on. Yeah. Uh, the actual events, and they might, pro- they're probably going to be taking some dramatic license with, but.
1: But essentially what you're talking about leads us into this age of empires, right? This, right. This time of colonialism. The great expansion. Game. Yes. Yep, yep. And within that great game, obviously you have uh, all of those other pieces behind the scenes that are being moved into place. Sure. So you also have this reemergence of technology that in spycraft hadn't really been used in a long time sure it was starting to come back and obviously we're going to talk more about this in the next episode but of course you know, yeah. things like invisible ink uh using secret codes and encryption yes, encryption indeed. uh you know all of these things that would become even more uh important as you would develop newer yeah. technologies like small concealed arms, sure. uh, photography. Oh, sure. Uh, The Industrial Revolution brought with it the advent of dynamite, which made now saboteurs have a very powerful and
0: easy-to-conceal weapon that could be used in the Black Hand would never have been able to have attempted uh, Archduke Ferdinand, right, if it wasn't for dynamite. Not just that, but think of also industrial
1: espionage, because that was now happening. Yeah, now you had factories, plants, plantations, ships, this kind of collateral damage that was
0: being inflicted against nations. Yeah, German industry, I think, has recently, they they lose about 50 billion euros a year to corporate espionage.
1: Isn't that crazy? Yeah. To think that that still happens today.
0: Of course, yeah. It's it's nuts. It's really cool. And so I think that's a good place for us to kind of... I mean, yes, we could... Do you want to go a little little bit further? Well, you know what? What we really need to do, because... Our fans are
1: screaming. They're looking at their watches. They're saying, well, hold on. We're running out of episode. When are they going to get to the Cold War? And ladies and gentlemen, we want to address this. We will get to the Cold War. It's just not going to happen right now. Brian and I were talking about this before we recorded, and we thought, well, where's a good stopping place for us, right? Yeah. And I think you know we could set some context for the Cold War when we talk about espionage at the turn of the 19th century. And then obviously the foundation of the Cold War, which is the Second World War. Well, really the first and Second World War. Right. And then lead us into the Cold War from there. So what do you think? We should do a, a whole Cold War episode,
0: right? I think we should do a yeah, a whole epi- a two parter on the Cold War from the espionage perspective, because I, I just don't, I feel like... Well, I think from the whole perspective, but I think espionage is going to be a big right. part of that. I mean, you're talking about contemporary history. It's a 40-year-long ordeal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like to do and it with justice... And with a huge back history leading up to it exactly. As well. And so I feel like we, to do it justice, we need to give it its own episode. All right, cool. For sure.
1: So then I think what we should do while we're on the subject of spycraft is then more or less address... Um, yeah, the 19th and 20th century
0: in our next episode when
1: we talk about the tools of
0: the trade. Oh, absolutely. See, you can't talk about spacecraft without talking about the toys. Right. And people who know me know that I love gadgets. Oh, yes, so, you do. Uh, I mean, come on. Uh, you see how many apps I have on my phone? On my iPhone? It's unbelievable. It's a little embarrassing. Yeah, it is a little embarrassing, but I have no shame. So, uh, <laughs> or too much. I don't know yet. <laughs> I'll work it out with my therapist. But anyway, uh, so that's going to be part two of this discussion is, is the actual craft of spycraft, right? We talked about espionage. Now we're going to talk about the cool stuff, the stuff that evokes the imagination and the James, the James Bond kind of stuff basically. Yeah. Right. Awesome. So, uh, but let's get into some feedback, shall we? Indeed.
1: This week in listener feedback,
0: we got, we got one piece of feedback this well, week. technically two, but I'll let you go of our official one first. So our official one was from Brett over Twitter. Yep. Long time listener. And he asks, is this true? Cause Cracked posted a thing about ancient, uh, architecture that you didn't things you didn't know that will blow your mind which is that the great pyramids of giza were white
1: that is absolutely correct brett i know i acknowledged you on twitter and said yes but here's the reason why so Tura limestone uh from a deposit in egypt in the area of Tura, is very very fine quality and it is beautifully uh white in appearance when it's polished so these were the outer casing stones that i would made have up loved the seeing
0: the pyramids of giza with that
1: If you looked at the Great Pyramids of Giza, midday, they would have been blinding originally because they would have been almost these mountains of blinding white light from the glare. Imagine
0: them at nighttime, though, the
1: reflection of the moonlight would have been... That would have been pretty spectacular as well. And they were all tipped with small pyramidiums who, at the very top of the pyramid, there are these smaller pyramids, and they are... Again, just limestone blocks, but they are uh, gilted. so they're covered with electrium, which is a combination of, of gold and silver, and they made up these points on the very top. And while from a pretty distance, uh, from a pretty good distance away, you probably wouldn't have been able to make them out too definely, you would see uh, the, the brightest light coming from the very top which it would
0: have been the, the the golden glimmer right and this is the symbolism right that you're getting closer to, you know that it's reaching toward the heavens and has a little sparkle of the divine on it you know yeah you kind of reach the apex that's where yeah. that's where the magic happens it, we don't get a chance to really understand the opulence that the Egyptians had at the height of their of their power and the ancient Egyptians didn't
1: even get it for all that long because remember the outer casing stones of the pyramids were you know taken off and removed and you know tarnished and dirty. Uh, or not tarnished per se, but, you know, they became worn and weathered. Sure. Uh, and so, you know, as time went on, the Egyptian civilization lasted for so long that they saw much of their oldest part of their civilization fall into a, a bit of ruin. Mm. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Well, We're still talking about the context of ancient Egypt and, you know, there they are. The image is like... Rebuilding like, everything. They're just
0: like, F- <laughs> hell, these pyramids are still here. <laughs> <laughs> just like, just, I can't imagine. I can't... Can... Do we really have? Do we have to keep them here? Because I really just think we need to put a day spa. <laughs> that's what. That's my vision for for Giza. They kind of had those actually. But anyway, uh, I have another
1: piece of listener feedback, and this actually comes from a coworker of ours, AJ. Uh, hello, AJ. How you doing? Thank you for listening. Uh, he's a huge history buff, so him and I have been getting into these conversations all the time about uh, about the show and about history and certain topics and. You know, he says, you know, I'm such a huge nerd, and you're a nerd, and I'm a big Star Trek fan. What if we did an episode where we looked at episodes of Star Trek that traveled back in time and oh, looked at them for for their historical accuracy and uh, and explored their their you know episode and in, in, in the context of of history? I think that would be a lot of fun.
0: It could be very interesting, to say at least. Yeah. So I think we should. Uh, I think we should do that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Actually, it would be really fun. Indeed. Indeed. So
1: we've got Cold War coming up at some point. We've got this awesome Star Trek idea from AJ coming up at some point.
0: Uh it's going to be go a fun. um plus we also have a very special plan for uh October. Oh. Right? <laughs> that's going to be fun. That's going to be really fun. <laughs> Guys, we I I I know it's not even Labor Day. It's barely just past Labor Day, but it, we even pl- we had such a cool idea last year for what we're going to do for the Halloween for this year. Uh we're just we're really excited. That's all I can say. So
1: yeah, and we also hope to get uh, Big Sean Moe, our amazing editor, in the Nerd Cave, deep friend of mine, brother of yours, here, at least if not in person then through Skype. But we want him on the show to uh, discuss a very special topic. Yeah.
0: Indeed, Amazon and History. he's he's been here once before but only in your stead. That's right. And this I've never be been, all been on the three show of with us them. together. And that'd we, be awesome. We have to, we have to have that happen. Indeed. Well, folks, it is that time. So, um please Keep the feedback coming. You can do so by going to Nerdonomy.com and clicking the Talk to Us uh, icon at the top. Or, of course, through our social media at Facebook and Twitter at Nerdonomy. But you know which else you can do? Eric, tell them what else they can do.
1: Well, if you happen to find our Audible uh, link right on our website, and if you're looking on a mobile device, that's totally okay. Just go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash Nerdonomy. And with that, uh, you can sign up for this amazing service where you can get these lovely audio books, learn all sorts of cool things, and we just happen to get a little bit of a cut. So uh, you yeah, help us you out, help it. yourself out. Yeah, a little
0: bit. Yeah. And of course, the donate button. Or, cause you just give us the money directly. Yeah, just do that too. That works, you know. Like my cousin. Like, like, like your cousin, 100, 100, right? Dollars. Right, right. You can give us no amount is too small. Anything above a dollar, right? We can take through our PayPal account. We'll get like ninety-three cents of it, but we'll still get most of it. Um, and you, Or you can do what our Paladino did, right? And you uh, sign up for a monthly pledge that you can yeah. make through PayPal. Which Almost is a, like a, a newer feature. Yeah, yeah. To help us to give you the content that you deserve, right? So, a couple ways you can do that. And as always, folks, uh, tune into us next week. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Adios.
1: Okay, I am
0: losing patience. Tell me your secrets. Uh, 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 all right, well, I, I never really told anybody this before, but um, I think it was back when I was five, there was this girl who I really liked in kindergarten, and but I didn't want her to know, so when she came up to me on the playground, I, th- I threw sand in her face, and I just, the guilt from all those years has has just consumed me and you know i never told the teacher and she was too scared so she didn't tell the teacher so we just spent she just spent all these years just not knowing what to say to me and i i just wish i could go back and say i'm sorry you are a monster